You are listening to a special pre-recorded episode of The Four Persons Show. Though we will not be taking live calls tonight, we want to answer any questions or comments you may have. Drop us a line at email at thefourpersons.com. Welcome to The Tangled Knot with Deb Rojas. With the help of our Heavenly Mother Mary, undoer of knots, Deb seeks to help us untangle the knots we find and often cause in our own lives. Deborah Rojas, MS, is a psychotherapist and mental health counselor at Integrity Counseling Services. A graduate of Divine Mercy University, Deborah utilizes a variety of approaches within a Catholic Christian framework, depending on the needs of the client. These approaches include cognitive behavioral therapy, internal family systems, emotion-focused therapy, forgiveness therapy, person-centered therapy, gestalt techniques, and narrative therapy. She specializes in women's issues, relationship trauma, spiritual trauma, physical and sexual trauma, anxiety and depression, and grief and loss. She also works with priests, pastors, and seminarians, drawing from her background of over 20 years of working in both Protestant and Catholic churches. For more information about Deb and Integrity Counseling, please visit them at IntegrityCounselingPA.com. Once again, the address is IntegrityCounselingPA.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Deb Rojas. Hello and welcome to The Tangled Knot. I am your host, Deb Rojas, and uh, delighted to have you listening today. Um, I'm here with my friend and co-host, Dr. Fred Boley. Welcome, Fred. Hello. Here at The Tangled Knot, we like to consider how Mary Undoer of Knots aids us in helping to deal with the tangled messes of life. So if there are issues in your life that are difficult with friends, family, work, um, maybe an estranged child. Um, there are so many different uh, different messes that we get into that are causes deep pain. And um, and so we we like to talk about these things on the show. And um, I'm no. really delighted to um, in, welcome my my guest tonight, Ken Garcia. Welcome, Ken. Glad to be here. It's an honor. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I've been very excited about having you on. Um, we will be talking to Ken tonight about Pilgrim River, a spiritual memoir, which is a story of his conversion. Um, Ken is an incredible writer. I particularly love the uh, the geographical descriptions, the detailed geographical descriptions. Uh, just drew me right into the themes, and uh, but also the spiritual depth. Um, the emotional and psychological depth. Uh, you really you paint the picture of conversion beautifully, Ken. So thank you for sharing your story so honestly and openly. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to talking with you about that tonight. Um, I've enjoyed our Facebook Messenger discussions. Yes. <laughs> yes, have I. Yes, have yeah. I. They've been they've been mutually encouraging. 
And um, so Fred is also a convert. Yep. Ah. And From, uh, go ahead. Well, I started in uh, the, the Baptist church. My parents uh, were evangelical missionaries from sort of a Baptist background. Ah. And later on, I joined the Church of England when I was living over in England and uh, became a Catholic in 2015. Uh-huh. Yeah. I grew up Baptist, um, the daughter of a Baptist preacher man. And um, so that was, I, I grew up in the church, literally, like in the church building almost. Yeah, yeah. We, spent, we spent so much time there. Um, but uh, so, you know, coming to the church from a place of a lot of, um, a lot of love for God in my family and scripture knowledge and, um, and holiness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so Ken, your conversion story was was uh, strikingly different in comparison. Uh, yes, indeed it was. It was uh, a very uh, kind of an unusual uh, mm-hmm. that my my life took. Uh, the, the do you want me to mention a few things about the memoir? I would I love if you would. Yeah, if you would just introduce it. So the memoir again is Pilgrim River, and I would. Highly recommend that everybody. What is that word you're saying there, Deb? What river? Pilgrim. Pilgrim, Pilgrim River. P I L G R I M. Pilgrim River. Um, and yeah, Ken, if you book? could say again. Who's the publisher? Who's the publisher? Ken, who's the, the publisher? And Angelico Press. Angelico. Okay. Angelico. Yeah. All right. So all right. yeah, Deb, would you like me to interrupt you some more? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would love it. Whenever you talk. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'll shut up now. Just don't interrupt Ken, okay? Okay, um, okay. So, yeah, Ken, if you could just um, introduce yourself and uh, and also your story. We'd love okay. to hear it. All right. Well, I am a, I'm a, I'm a native of, of northeastern Nevada, a small rural town of Elko. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were about 3,000 or 4,000 people when I was growing up. And it's situated right in the middle of the Great Basin Desert, you know, with uh, just wide open spaces and vast horizons, hills, deserts, mountains, for hundreds of miles in every direction. But but anyway, uh, but growing up, you know, during my childhood and adolescence, um, you know, I was and my siblings were completely devoid of any, any kind of religious belief. Hmm. I mean, and it's not that my family was explicitly anti-religious. I mean, I knew I knew about Christmas because we celebrated it, although mm-hmm. more more as a secular cultural holiday, time for you know getting gifts especially, but also giving. And I knew I um, I, I I didn't really know the meaning of Christmas though. Mm-hmm. We, we did have, we did have uh, Easter Sunday feasts. But all I really knew about Easter was, you know, the Easter bunny, the weird eggs that we got to go look for. Mm-hmm. And I, and then, you know, when I got to be an early teen, I, I had seen movies like The Ten Commandments. And, mm-hmm. the and so, I, you know, I got uh, an inkling of the gospel story and, uh, you know, the life of Moses and everything. But I had never read the Bible at all until mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s. And I, I, I began it my spiritual journey at that time in my early 20s because, I, well, that's that's when God revealed himself to me. You know, mm-hmm. not, not through 
the traditional means of say you know reading holy scripture or hearing a powerful sermon or you know being evangelized i mm-hmm. wasn't evangelized at all i had never heard a i don't know if i'd ever heard a, a, a homily but but really it was through the awesome beauty of of the natural world mm-hmm. like i said i grew up in, in in the great basin desert of nevada kind of close, real close to the middle of nowhere <laughs> you know, just surrounded by desert, rugged hills, mountain rangers, you know, you know, just vast horizons of silent, uninhabited spaces. And then, just by chance, or maybe by God's design, I had the leisure of spending a year or two of just solitary hiking and reading and contemplating in those vast, silent spaces. Mm. And that, that really transformed my life because I, I encountered the Holy Spirit there. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in addition to the, I mean, and I don't know if I used the word Holy Spirit, I would have used the word God or just spirit, you know, but not in a Christian sense. because. Mm-hmm. And I would have used the word God because I kind of knew what that meant. And, you know, we're all made in the image and likeness of God. So mm-hmm. it's there. We, we, we recognize it even when we're not paying attention. But uh, and then at the same time that I was making these solitary hikes into the in the natural world, I I, I was very influenced by the writings of the French Jesuit Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, oh, yeah. who was, uh, was a mystic and who saw who saw cosmic evolution as the work of Christ, mm-hmm. and and the development of the universe as a gradual kind of a gradual process of of joining together through love of all things in the universe into mm. into one whole, which would be the cosmic Christ or or the omega point. And I was I was just carried away with Teilhard's rich integration of scientific and religious thought and and, mm. and the you know the even the the beauty and power of his prose too. Mm. And, and somehow I understood his vision of cosmic evolution, mm. though I didn't really get the Christ part of it. Mm. Well, I thought of that as just something kind of superfluous. So can Rather I interrupt than, you there at that yeah, point? Sure. sure. Um, it sounds like in his writing there was a deep sense of the transcendence that spoke to you. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm curious if within that you also had a sense that there was, even if you couldn't name him as God at that point, a sense of someone. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Sure, and I, I would have probably used the word God, okay, and uh, and and the word Spirit mm-hmm. uh, with a capital S, mm-hmm. um, but still not really knowing anything about Christianity, mm-hmm. and even though Christian imagery pervades Teilhard de Chardin's work, it didn't mean anything to me. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I just didn't get his the connections. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But anyway, during this this period of my life, um, you know, I was kind of slowly being infused with this. Mm. I, I would say the only way I could describe it is a kind of divine energy uh, spirit that transformed and even overwhelmed my life. Mm-hmm. Like the and, Holy Spirit who uh, he breathed over the dry bones, right? Yeah, exactly. Life. You know, he was breathing into you and into your heart and waking yeah. you up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I once tried to write a novel. I, I I tried to be a fiction writer, and I was uh-huh. no good at it. But I began <laughs> the novel with with the opening phrase it went something like this: uh, 
I slept for the first 20 years of my life and woke up in a desert. My words had no ancestors, my deeds no lord. I was a wild man, a savage. I called out into the vast desert, uh, but received no reply, not even an echo. Mm. Then night came and darkness came into the void. Something like that. And that's how I started it because that's how I I, I kind of experienced my early mm-hmm. life, you know, until I found, I, 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 I got a response from my calling out, I guess. I, mm-hmm. I, I got a word back from, from the Spirit. But anyway, when I say I was overwhelmed, I, I mean that in a, in a, both in a, a good, ecstatic way, but also in a problem way, problematic way, because, you know, I wasn't raised in any religion, I, I, so I didn't know what to do with that, you know, effusion of psychic, spiritual energy. You know, I didn't have a wisdom tradition, you know, a religious tradition with which to make sense of it all, to give a context for it all. You know, it wasn't until eight years later or so that I kind of stumbled my way into the Catholic Church and mm-hmm. was baptized and confirmed at age 29 when I was living in southwest Mexico. Mm-hmm. And if I could just point out one more thing, I know you have a lot of other questions. Uh, <laughs> Um, in, in the uh, the memoir, I bookend the memoir with the, the the same metaphors which I've kind of been talking about, uh, which make up the book's title, Pilgrim River, or actually three images: the ocean, which I always use with the the def, without the definite article, and the second is a barren desert which remained after the ocean drained away, and a river that runs to the desert struggling sometimes, you know, just to be a river in its search mm-hmm. for the ocean, but never finds it because in the Great Basin, all the waters run in into the into the basin, but they never find their way back out. You know, most rivers in the world find a way eventually into mm-hmm. the ocean, but but not in the Great Basin. They just they just run into these flatlands mm-hmm. of, of alkali flats. And these very shallow lakes in the spring, and which then just evaporate or sink into the ground, leaving these alkali flats here they were. I don't know if you've ever heard of the the Burning Man Festival. Sure. The, so they, that's that's that takes place in one of these alkali flats in northwestern Nevada, called the Black Rock Desert, and it's just a flat land, and it's white because of the salt and sand there. But anyway, I mean, and, and those kinds of lake beds, you know, alkali flats, you can find all throughout Nevada. Hmm. So, but anyway, um, the, the the metaphor, you know, again of the ocean and the, pil- the the Pilgrim River, you know, comes from the geography of the land I grew up in. And hmm. It's it's a region that geologists call it an an endorheic region, uh, which means, you know, as I said, the water. Rain or snowfall that comes into it never no never goes back out again. Mm. And I think of it as too a maybe a suitable metaphor for someone like me on the spectrum between extreme introversion and mild autism, you know, which can sometimes impede my spiritual quest and mm-hmm. in the carrying out of God's calling for my life. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the and I, I use that image of the ocean and the river Pilgrim mm-hmm. River in the first couple paragraphs of the prologue and then the last few paragraphs of the, of the book. 
Yeah, I'm hoping you can read a couple selections for us today as well, uh, while we have you here. We will be back to the Tangle Knot with Deb Rojas on the Four Persons Network in just a moment. The Four Persons Inc. is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. It is our goal to bring you the very best Catholic content possible, including great contributors like Deb. Going forward, we will continue to bring you great apologists, great educational content, devotionals, Catholic books, and live charitable and social outreach activism. To continue to keep bringing you this great program, we need your help. All of our members are volunteering their time and effort, but it costs money to pay for all of the things connected with our shows, podcasts, and articles. Please take a moment to donate. Our online credit card platform is not yet running, but you can send your tax-deductible gift to the Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. The address again is the Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. If you would like to advertise your business on our programs, or if you have any comment or question of any kind, please email us at email at thefourpersons.com or call us at 240-728-6531. Thank you. You know, you, you talk a lot about how, you know, the time that you spent out in nature really helped you think and become aware. And um, and it strikes me that today we have a lot less of that awareness of nature because oh, yeah. we're not even looking out. We're looking, we're more so looking at a screen or we're looking down or... Um, yeah. We're, you know, like so consumed with looking inward that we that we can't look out. Yeah, no, I agree. And and most people live at a far removed from 
what we call the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. I mean, there are parks and cities and things like that, and river trails, which were wonderful. I, I think that's a shame. I think that's a real loss. For sure. You know, you know, you, you, you probably know this. In, in uh, ancient and medieval Christians, you know, theologians and mystics uh, wrote about the, the two books of God. Uh, the first book is, of course, the you know Holy Scripture, mm-hmm. and the the second book is the Book of Nature, mm-hmm. and, and both mm-hmm. books both books point to and reveal something transcendent beyond themselves, mm-hmm. or, or maybe maybe I, it'd be better to say that they point to and reveal something that is both transcendent and imminent in the world. Because you know, in the in the ancient medieval world, um, Christians believed that God, the splendor of God, shines through everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, through the core of the world, and but sometimes we don't see it because we're just not well disposed. Mm-hmm. You know, unless grace somehow mm-hmm. grabs a hold of us and says, "Look, look at this! Behold." This, this splendor and beauty that is that is mine, you know. Can I ask you a question, Ken? Sure. Why is it you think that you wound up in the Catholic Church when other people go out into nature and wind up as pagans? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. How does that happen? I mean, I, I, it's absolutely true. Uh, I, uh, you know, I suppose early on because I didn't know anything about Christianity. I mean, I, I very much tended toward a nature mysticism. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of liked, uh, I kind of had a predilection for New Age spiritualities. Uh, but I also read, uh, started reading the, you know, the, the word text, the source text of the major religious traditions. So, you know, the Bible, the the Quran. Was the, that just because uh, of intellectual curiosity? Just, just curiosity, and I, just, mm-hmm. I mean, I just felt, you know, the spirit guiding me to, to know more mm-hmm. and more about you know, spiritual life, religious life, and, you know, the, the spiritual traditions of, of, of humankind. And so, you know, I read, you know, the Upanishads and uh, the mm-hmm. Analects of Confucius and the Tao Te Ching, and, I, you know, I, I, you know, found wonderful things in all of those, those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of the Catholic Church, it, it's it's interesting because uh, my 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 conception or my yeah my overall attitude toward Catholicism was that I had friends in in my hometown that I grew up with. They were Bas- Basques. They mm-hmm. were very they had very close knit families. They mm-hmm. were all Catholic, very Catholic. And they were warm and welcoming, and they, you know, ad- adopted, you know, all the stray ragamuffins like me. You know, I, I was always welcome in their homes. Mm. And then I, I spent part of, I don't know, eight years living in Mexico, where I experienced the Mexican people to be mm-hmm. very warm and welcoming. And they were also very Catholic. And in fact, Catholicism in Mexico, especially, is just integrated mm-hmm. into all parts of life. At least in you know smaller towns, anyway. Probably mm-hmm. not so much in large cities anymore. 
But the whole liturgical year of festivals is public. You know, you have the, you know, before Christmas, you have Las Posadas, where a um, a man dressed up like St. Joseph is leading a donkey on which sits a young girl dressed in white, you know, Mary. And they are going to Bethlehem looking for an inn, which mm-hmm. is a posada in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so they, they go through the streets of the town and they go from door to door and people say, sorry, we have no room at the end. So they go on to another place and, and until they finally get to the, 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 the home that's designated as the place that has a room. And then so everyone everyone is, follow, you know, half the townspeople are following in, in procession along with this. And then they go in and have a, a big fiesta in, in, in the backyard of these people, you know, it's been prepared and there's music and, mm. and then the, the stations of the cross, you know, during Lent are, mm-hmm. are, are all public occurrences, you know, there people are carrying crosses through the town and up the hillside, you know, and it's all very public and it's just wonderful. It's so integrated. Mm. And I guess it was that aspect of Catholicism that drew me into it. You know, mm. it was not something doctrinal mm-hmm. or anything like that. Right. Which I really didn't know very much about. I mean, I knew a little, but not very much. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't anything like that that drew me in. It was that that kind of warm, welcoming culture that just pervaded all aspects of people's lives. So it's the community of the liturgy being lived out in the in the culture in the town. In, in the culture, publicly, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, not just in the in the church. Yeah. That's powerful, and that's something that we really often in our modern experience of the faith. Can you hear me, Fred? No, I cut out just then. I'm just the community factor is something that's often lacking in modern parish culture. Right. And um, and so it's I you know especially especially you know we all have that longing for community. Even though, even though Ken, you like to take those long solitary hikes. <laughs> so I wonder if that's a true more of a northern Anglo-American type uh, church, Deb. That maybe the you know the fabric of our society is kind of built, as a lot of people say, around the car now rather than around people. Mm-hmm. It makes it hard for us to have that community. You know, I've got to drive 20 or 25 miles to get to Mass. Wow. And this one is true of a lot of people here in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit more tricky to, mm-hmm. to have that, I think, sense of community. Yeah. Ken, can I ask you another question? Uh-oh, did we lose him? I'm not hearing Ken. Uh-huh. I don't know if you can hear us, Ken, but I can't hear you. Well, anyway... If you recognize and realize we are not hearing you, Ken, uh, call back in and we will continue the discussion. Sorry, Deb, you were about to say something. I was, but I forget what I was going to say in my concern for losing Ken. <laughs> it was about community and uh, being placed yeah. far apart. And Well, I was just thinking how lucky I am that I can walk. I have the, the closest mass is a seven-minute walk. 
Nice. And then and then another great one is a seven minute drive. You know, so within that there's a lot of opportunity for community. Um I'm hoping we can get Ken back on because he talks about a point um after his conversion where he really struggled psychologically and how it affected his relationship with God. And I think that would be particularly helpful for our listeners. Um so maybe you can bump him off and then have him call back again. All right, I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm bumping you off, Ken. Call right back. So Ken is not with us for the moment. Okay, but we back. will look forward to welcoming Ken back. Yes, uh, he has a a chapter called The Valley of Shadows hmm. in which he talks about this particular period of his life. So he uh, uh, taught at Notre Dame, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know what it was that he taught? What was his field? I do his... not. I do not. You'll ha- we'll have to we'll have to get I'm really that from curious him. to ask him. Mm-hmm. And also, how did he find a year to walk around and <laughs> contemplate? And also, how did he get reading Teilhard de Chardin? There he is. <laughs> I know. I wanted to ask that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Welcome back. You can hear me now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. I'll be a reception Great. with you. So we were just talking about you while you were calling back in. That's why my ears One of the things we were talking about was maybe it's the uh, Anglo Church, the Northern American Church, that finds it hard to do the uh, community thing, and possibly that's because uh, this is a, a society that's built around the car rather than around people, or mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Yeah. So did you find that when you came back to uh, North America and uh, um, started to become Catholic, did you find it was a little bit less friendly or community-centered, or oh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, when I was young, I didn't have words to explain it, and, uh, you know, I didn't know what was wrong, why I wasn't a happy kid, you know. Uh, um, but I've, I, I, I have to say I never really felt at home living in America. Mm-hmm. You know, because I grew up in a in a strong family with a strong, uh, you know, religious and a, a loving atmosphere. You know, it just, I never felt at home. I always felt alienated. Whereas when I lived in Mexico, I, I, I did kind of feel at home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, but you know, amongst uh, Catholic friends, mm-hmm. uh, I do feel at home as well, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, um, that might be a good segue into, you know, why it was so difficult for you to feel at home. Um, in your chapter, The Valley of Shadows, where you talk about um, some of your some of your struggles with depression and some of, um, like, just reconciling the story of your family life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that. And um, and also how it affected your view of God. Yeah. Um, well, my I had I had a very un, unhappy family life. Um, you know, very dysfunctional. I came from a very dysfunctional family. Mm. I, I don't I don't think it really had any influence on my my vision of God or my view of God because. In my early years, I didn't really have a view of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was older, and you know, I had moved out of the house, and my parents were were separated and everything. So, um, you know, that's when I came. 
I, I, or I was going to say found God, but I think mm-hmm. you know, God found me. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, um, I don't think it influenced my, um, concept of God, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the very ecstatic experiences that I had had for a year or two or so, you know, disappeared after a while. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I mean, most people maybe would have gone to a minister or a, a priest or something and then tried to discern their vocation. But I didn't even know what any of that meant. Looking for a Catholic counselor? Dr. Peter Claponis, Deb Rojas, and the team at Integrity Counseling Services provide faithful Catholic counseling in Pennsylvania and beyond. We offer telehealth and in-person counseling for porn addiction, betrayal trauma, anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, and much more. You can find us at IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610-601-9781. That's IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610 610- Looking for a Catholic counselor or coach? Dr. Fred Boley provides faithful Catholic counseling and coaching for men in Missouri and beyond. He conveniently offers telehealth services for anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, or just getting stuff done. You can find him at stbarn.org or 872-269-1280. Once again, the number is 872-269-1280. She is a Catholic recording artist, multi-award winning songwriter. She sings contemporary and folk rock music. She has been in the music industry for over five years. Her music is her ministry. She aims to help people that suffer from all kinds of pain in life and try to bring them to the Lord through her music. She has three albums out and her music is being played on radio stations all over the world. Her website is lisamarinacole.com and she is on social media. Her music page is Facebook.com Lisa Songs of Worship. YouTube at Lisa M. Nicole. Instagram Lisa underscore Marie underscore Nicole underscore official. Her songs can be purchased on her website, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and everywhere else. Her merchandise store has everything for her ministry and can be accessed through her website. Her new CDs will be available very soon and can be purchased through her website. She counts herself blessed that God has chosen her to help spread his message. She is Lisa Marie Nicole. Get her music today. Amazon Books had the following to say about Ken Garcia's Pilgrim River. Pilgrim River echoes Merton's The Seven Story Mountain and Augustine's Confessions. Yet, in its evocations of the natural world and its honest depiction of a tortured journey toward hope and love, it stands alone. Pilgrim River candidly narrates one man's wandering but sincere attempt to come to terms with the overpowering experience of God, a journey from unbelief to nature mysticism in the deserts and mountains of Nevada and Utah, to sojourns through the country of marriage and the Republic of Letters, and finally to the Catholic Church. The road followed is crooked, plagued by a lack of spiritual guides and mentors, by isolation and depression, by a failed first marriage, 
but present throughout is a groping towards spiritual fulfillment, alternately tortured, hopeful, and bathed in luminescence. Many spiritual seekers, including those who consider themselves spiritual but not religious, will benefit from the telling of this unorthodox journey to Christianity. Written with the naturalistic zeal of Annie Dillard and the confessional spirit of St. Augustine, Pilgrim River is the story of an ordinary life's extraordinary journey. It is a story of pursuing and being pursued by God. I finished the last page with a lump in my throat that won't quickly go away, Nancy Nordenson. If you wish to purchase this book, please click the link in the show notes to this show. Withdrew into myself, and and, and you know, to be honest, I, I went insane, and you know, had to seek out psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 you know, it's I, I I'm not good at talk psychotherapy, I, just because I'm not a good conversationalist, mm-hmm. and I never know what when I'm talking to a psychiatrist. You know, they, mm-hmm. you've got to you've got to put out your problems and articulate them well, mm-hmm. and I. Do that unless I've had a chance to kind of think about and prepare for what I want to say beforehand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to a psychiatrist in Salt Lake City, Utah. I think twice a month, and I, I hardly said a word. Mm-hmm. We basically we did we ended up doing dream work, and I bring dream. How old you were at that time, Ken? How old? Yeah, uh, twenty-four, twenty-five, maybe. So were you in graduate school or working or what no, were you doing? No, I was uh, I was not doing anything uh, oh. at the time. You know, when I had a, I was in a hunting accident when I was twenty, and I, I came into some money, insurance money from that, which enabled me to live on my own without working at all for about four years. I gotcha. So so anyway, um, I the, the the main thing I got out of the psychotherapy at that time was that. Um, the 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 doctor put me on antidepressants and um, tranquilizers, which I needed. I, I I don't think I slept more than three hours a night, and I was just so wound mm-hmm. up, hot, you know. So th- those helped me. Although the antidepressants were one of the early, you know, what do they call them? Tricycline, interesting, Tofranil, and boy, I I really hated them. I just hated mm-hmm. the, the effect they had on me. Mm-hmm. But but it was also but he was also very helpful and he he the psychiatrist um, you know started after a while started asking me why you know why why am I not dating you know mm-hmm. I mean I had, I had dated a lot when I was in high school but I, I hadn't for several years and I mm-hmm. and I said well I 
I just don't think girls like me. Um, uh, you know, I just become so reclusive mm-hmm. and incommunicative, and I'm a, you know kind of kind of a specter. And and he said, "Why oh, stay well?" And he <laughs> said, "I'll go back to college," and I hadn't. I thought, "Oh yeah, I can do that." <laughs> and so I went back to college, and that, that's where I met my first wife. And you know, it was. Um, a marriage that didn't last long, four years only, but it uh, it, it brought a lot of healing to both me and to my wife. Mm. And and then, you know, even later in life, I've gone through psychotherapy a couple of times, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it, that it, that it, is, it helped me. You know, what, what, what I would really want to do is I want, want to write out a five-page essay on what I'm thinking and feeling and send it in to the therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> about it once I got there because I can't get it out when I'm there in person. I have some clients who do that, Ken. What's that? Oh, is that right? Yeah. I do. Yeah. They find it helpful to write it out and send it to me ahead of time. Yeah. And, uh, and then it kind of frees us. So, you know, it's and just thinking about, you know, it sounds like you you had a lot of time to be in your head by yourself. Yep. Um, and kind of retreated from a lot of social interaction. Yeah, totally. Um, and that kind of disconnection and isolation is not what we're made for. Right. Oh, yeah. So I find that that often is a part of the problem of what brings us to that place of feeling insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can be a result, or it can be a cause, or both. Right, or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably it was both in my like my situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you started to feel like that? Why did you draw away from people? Um, I don't know. I because in part because I was, I was no longer experiencing you know these, I don't know what to call them, revelations. Um, visions, you know, that I had, they were starting to come more and more, less and less frequently, I should say. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to talk to them about them with anybody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this was a small town out west, and anybody talked about, you know, having visions of God as he's hiking out in the wilderness Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's going to be seen as Looney Tunes. <laughs> and, and and there was just no one I could, I, I, I could talk to, and I didn't know that I needed someone to talk to. You know, I didn't have a spiritual guide or know that I needed a spiritual guide. Mm-hmm. So, so you were really feeling very, very alone at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was a mess. I couldn't hold down a job or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned you did some dream work. Was that, yeah. was that helpful for you? Well, initially it was not, in, in the sense that the 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 doctor would read through uh, my dreams out loud, and he'd underline places, and he'd ask me about some things, and he I think he kind of was hoping that I would respond to something, or it would bring out something deep inside of me that I could relate to as, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is a symbol of something. Mm-hmm. This is symbolizing something deep in your subconscious that needs to get out and you need to be able to objectify it. Mm-hmm. And he would, 
he he when I didn't say any, much of anything, he would sometimes make a suggestion that maybe here's what it's saying, and I would just kind of yeah okay yeah yeah sure you know without mm-hmm. uh, without really being able to participate much. So I'd have to say that they didn't help me a lot, but mm-hmm. I, I did all those dream journals, and and about. Ten years later, I read through them again. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, look at that! Look at all that symbolism, you know. And uh, how did I, how did I not get that? So you so, had the language to understand it ten years later. That's right. That's right. And you know, I studied a good deal of religion and psychology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Carl Jung and uh, mm-hmm. people like that. And mm-hmm. So, yeah. Neat. And so, yeah, yeah. We were talking about you while, while you temporarily left the show um, about uh, how did you stumble onto Teilhard de Chardin? I mean, how did you get going reading on on that? Yeah, purely superstitious. I had I, I had been reading, and I came across the name of Paul Tillich, something oh, yeah. that he had, and. That inter- it was sound- it sounded really interesting, so I went mm-hmm. to my local public library to mm-hmm. find a book on you know some books by Paul Tillich, and there were some there. But and this this was back in the day when the library was organized by uh, person the author's last name. Well, Tayard was right next right before Tillich, <laughs> and so I saw some of his books. You know the the phenomenon of man and. Uh, the Divine Milieu, and Hymn of the Universe. And I just started kind of perusing them, you know, serendipitously. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. So I checked those out and, was, and then didn't check out Tillich. <laughs> and I just I just fell in love with them, you know. I just, I mean, I, I, I've written somewhere that uh, Teilhard colonized my mind for about 10 or 15 years of my life. You know, I mean, he, and he still influenced his spot still influences me a lot, even though I I can see a lot of flaws in it now, but um, mm-hmm. I, sure. I still like it work. So you found it through a, a library cataloging system. Yes. God <laughs> <laughs> works in mysterious ways. And the Holy Spirit working, yes, in mysterious ways, indeed. <laughs> indeed. So, do you have a uh, a tidbit that you'd like to read to us? Do I have a what? Do you have Do you have a, a segment that you would like to read so we can hear some of your? Well, I'll, I'll read. I'm going to I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of the prologue. Wonderful. And I, I kind of mentioned them, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's called "In the Land of Disappearing Rivers." This began as a poem, but I was a lousy poet, so I just kind of took away the gratuitous <laughs> line breaks and made it into prose. So, Ocean once lived here years ago in the lap of high mountains. It filled valleys to the brim and life teemed in its deep waters. Then it drained away through a weak point breach, leaving a vast desert of slow growth and silence. A pilgrim river winds its way through the desert now, struggling sometimes just to be a river. It meanders slowly, searching for ocean, then evaporates or disappears into the ground. Now and then, a welling up or a cloudburst floods the basin, satisfying river, then subsides. 
The high water marks of ocean are visible up among old bristle pine trees that, on, that grow on dry hillsides, gathering wisdom. The ancient tree remember Abraham's long journey and the promise. They wait patiently. The river makes a long bend, then continues on its way, watering the land as it can. So that's kind of the setup for the book. And then at the end of the book, uh, if I could, can I, can I cite one more Please. thing? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 uh, at a at a place in Western Maryland where I used to go every summer, nearby where we lived in Frostburg, Maryland, and there's been a lot of destruction in the the forest there because of the of Hurricane Sandy the mm-hmm. previous October. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I'm just kind of searching around, you know, the trees and measuring them clearing out a space that I like to sit and read and write in. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of reflecting on, on my life as, as, as an older man. And, and, I, and then I, I, I write this, and this is, this is the ending of the book. This is, this is a stream that, unlike the ones in, first of all, in the back, as background, Unlike the rivers and streams in the Great Basin Desert, the ones out east, and, you know, in the Allegheny and Appalachian Mountains, reach the ocean. Mm-hmm. They go, they, they're tributaries of this, and then, which is the tributary of that, and then the Chesapeake Bay and then the ocean. So anyway, if you live as this streamless, meandering here, surging strongly there, resting now in deep pools, if you descend gratefully to the valley floor, where you flow contemplative, contemplatively in the meadowlands, till you merge peaceably with the great Pilgrim River, then you live your well. But if you are stubborn, like the old tree trunk that, fit, that years ago fell across the stream, blocking its course and gathering debris, then the water will, regardless, find its way around and through you, even if you resist. Pushing back in protest, the stream will smoothen your rough edges. Day by day, it carries away more of the coarse bark, then seeps through the small cracks, soften even, softening even the heartwood, that tough inner core, until your molecules, one by one, float away, mingling with the current. Then, old log, you will join the stream and freely glide home to ocean. And that's how it ends. Mm. Very nice. Love it. And that, my friends, is why you need to get Pilgrim River and read it from beginning to end. (laughs) It's one of the few books that I've read beginning to end, Ken. Yeah. Well, yes. I'm notorious notorious for for, uh, half, half reading. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, well, I, I I do that a lot too, so I get it. Mm-hmm. But yours was so compelling, and it really, um, you know, you share from the heart. You share with with a lot of transparency and honesty um, about your childhood and upbringing, also your family life with your family grew, and uh, you know, just some of your your personal struggles. And so, I just want to thank you for your authenticity and. Um, for sharing for sharing from the heart. It really it tells your story beautiful and I have beautifully and I have no doubt that God is, uses it 
to encourage those in their faith and also bring others to faith. Well, thank you. I, I hope I hope so. Yeah, but, but but thank you for those kind words. It's been a, it's been a real honor for me to be here talking to you all. Do you have any uh, any final questions for Ken, Fred? Oh, I got a lot. <laughs> I keep getting here for some flowers. <laughs> can I can I ask a question? Yeah. Sure. Well, I I, I was really interested in in the title of this podcast. <laughs> the 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 tangled knot is that it? That is correct. Yeah, and 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 then it refers to Mary, the untangler of knots. Yes. I, I had never heard that before. And so that's Mary- it's such yeah. a beautiful metaphor. Mm-hmm. How cool! I, you know, it's just a, it's a, such a fascinating concept and a beautiful metaphor. It really is. Mary, undoer of knots, is uh, you know when you think of how how um, you know how we just we do we have so many knots in our lives, and as counselors, we deal with those on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, um, and so I often pray to Mary, undoer of knots, for my um, for my clients. Uh, look up the image, Ken. The image is spectacularly beautiful. It's in bright cobalt blues and deep reds, and um, it's a really stunning image of Our Lady. And, and it's a devotion that Pope Francis made uh, made popular because it's one of his favorites as well. And what's the name of the painting? Mary Undoer of Knots. Oh, Mary Undoer of Knots. Yes. And so the uh, that is that is the origin of the show's name. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love that. I I, I love Mary. Um, I, in fact, I have three three icons of Mary uh, on my wall that I, mm-hmm. I I look at when I look look up from my desk. And they're you know they're not traditional kind of classic mm-hmm. uh, icons. They are they were all painted by a, a local artist. But I just love them. And, well, thank you very uh, much for being here, Ken. Thank you, Deb, for uh, another uh, inspiring show. We have reached the end of our time. But remember, this is a joint production of the Four Persons Blog and St. Barnabas Reconciliation Ministries, a nonprofit Catholic company dedicated to reconciling all people to each other and to God. Um, we invite you to come most every week. It will be on at the same time. Seven o'clock. Um, this is a recorded program, but do send us any questions at stbarn.org or uh, Barn at protonmail.com. Good night, everybody. God bless. Blessings. Thanks again, Ken. Uh, good night. And, good night. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Fred. Good night. Yeah. Bye. You just heard The Tangle Knot with Deb Rojas on the Four Persons Network. Real sound Catholic counseling that helps us to fulfill the greatest commandment to love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole strength, and, yes, our whole mind. We will see you next week for another wonderful show with Deb Rojas. The Four Persons Inc. is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. All rights reserved. Any unauthorized use of this content without the permission of the Four Persons Inc. and our hosts is prohibited and subject to legal action. Thank you.